Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. We are inside of two weeks of kicking off against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Still don't know who the starting quarterback is. Still got some holes at linebacker. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Before we kick off, we want to just go ahead and take a second to acknowledge the passing of Texas legend Cedric Benson. He was a legend for the Texas Longhorns. He played for my Chicago Bears. I knew about him first when he was an All-State and All-American running back at Midland League, winning all of those state titles out there in West Texas. Best high school running back I ever saw. Um, I don't know. I'm not the only one that thought that. I'm not old enough to remember Earl Campbell, and I didn't see Adrian per- uh, Peterson in person. Jeremy, I know you've covered high school football for a long time. Cedric Benson, he is going to be missed, is he not? Man, yeah, I, I agree with you. He is the best running back I've ever seen in high school. I, I first saw him when he was a sophomore that year. Midland League won the state championship over there at the old Texas Stadium. And it was funny. They played San Antonio O'Connor, and I think O'Connor got in there because they had lost the previous week, but the team they lost to had an ineligible player, so O'Connor got to go and play. And, man, I bet they wish they would have stayed at home because Benson just ran all over them and it just it became very obvious right there when when he was a sophomore that not only was he the best running back in the state, he was the best overall player in the state. He was just a sophomore, but man, huge loss for the Texas fans. I feel for them, and and just overall Texas high school football, they're going to mourn the loss of one of the greatest players that's ever uh, played in this great state. So yeah, I, uh, prayers to his family and and everyone that that uh, has been watching his career for so long. Yeah, not just the Texas fans. My my heart does go out to y'all, but the whole state of Texas because he, he represented this state well on the field and uh, nothing but the best for his family. Uh, grace and peace to you all. We want to thank our sponsor, Team Life, that goes out of their way to support the lives of junior high and high school students so that they can make responsible decisions and take responsibility for their future. Go to teamlife.ngo. You can learn ways to volunteer in the lives of public schools and get to know students as well as make a tax-deductible donation. We would love for you to go to teamlife.ngo and learn more about this amazing organization. They do two things right. Number one, they go out of their way to support students. And number two, they go out of their way to support the Frogcast. That's a great combination as far as I'm concerned, lifting up teenagers and listening to the Frogcast. Jeremy, let's just talk with about the, the issue that we all want to talk about. So let's just get right to it. Is there a starting quarterback? Uh, we thought that we might have that starting quarterback named by this time uh, last week. By this time right now, we thought last week we would have that starter name. There is still no starting, starting quarterback name. Take us a little bit uh, behind the scenes of what you know, what your sources have told you, what Coach Patterson has said, and update us on the quarterback situation. Well, I was told on uh, Friday that a starter would be named – uh, either Saturday or Sunday, and then when when they came out with the uh, media availability, I thought for sure that Coach P was going to announce the starter on Saturday, and he kind of shocked all of us because it, I think the the overall the odds-on favorite is still Alex Delton, and, and nothing has changed my opinion on that. I know some people have thought maybe Max Duggan is making such a, a good case to be the starter that Gary's delaying this decision. I think he's just doing it because – Yes, it is Arkansas Pine Bluff, but I, I think he wants to really keep people in the dark. I mean, it's it's his team. He can announce the starter when he wants to. I, I do personally think that he will tell the team who the starter is earlier than the next week before the media and the fans find out. But, yeah, I, I, I think uh, overall I was kind of kind of surprised by the whole deal. But, again, I, I still feel that Alex is the guy, and people have told me that Alex is the guy. But Max – has improved. Max has played well. 
And some people have even ta- told me that Alex is 1A and Max is 1B. And if there's any obvious thing out of the whole quarterback battle, it's that these two have clearly separated themselves. I talked to some people that were at the scrimmage on Saturday. Uh, Mike obviously didn't go, but Alex went, Max went, Mike Downing, and uh, Justin Rogers all competed. And the over- overwhelming response that I got was that it is clear that Alex and Max are the top two guys they have. So, Jeremy, the real question, I know that we've had uh, this race between Alex and Max, and it's kind of neck and neck. We've had a lot of narrative on message boards from what you've heard from your sources, as well as what Coach Patterson said in the media. Question I have, does Alex Delton have the respect and the trust of the playmakers on the offensive side of the ball? Does Jalen Rager trust Alex Delton? Does Darius Anderson, does Darius Davis, do those people that he needs to get the ball to, do they trust that he's going to put the ball there so they can make that cut, make that turn, and the ball is going to be there? Oh, yeah. And, and really, they have the trust in both those guys. And the fans are going to ask, does Alex have the respect of the team? Yes, he does. Does Max have the respect of the team? Yes, he does. Uh, with Alex, it's it's been what Gary Patterson has said, Sonny Cumbie has said. The players have talked about it, the ones that have talked to the media. They all love the fact that he's just come in there. He's not going around saying, hey, I'm from Kansas State. I you know, this is my team down here now. He's gone in. He's earned the respect. He's he's actually uh, watched film. He's been around with the teammates, worked out, ran through the offseason. That's how you gain the respect of teammates when you're out there showing the work. And, and that's what makes the comments that you hear so many times in this offseason that the quarterback group in general is just overall better than what it was a year ago. Uh, same thing with Max. Max has arrived in January. He's done nothing but just earn the respect of every teammate on there. And, and I've keep hearing the words mature beyond his years. And, and really that's what you have. You have a guy that has worked out. He's a film junkie, just like Alex, he's coach's son. He knows what to do to prepare. And, and really with either of those two guys, you have the respect of the, of the team and, and, and they know each of those guys can get the job done. Now, as far as what I was saying earlier with Alex, the only thing that separates him to max uh, right now from everything I've heard is he still, not turning the ball over. Gary said the other day that in the scrimmage, neither one of them threw an interception, and and there's only been one interception thrown the last three practices. And I know Max was the one that threw that, but uh, he's he's doing a better job of, of of taking care of the football, not turning it over. Max is still he's a freshman. He's still 18 years old. He's still trying to use that tremendous arm strength to force some things there where they're not. And once he gets past that, I think you're going to see him maybe eclipsing what Alex is doing right now. But I will say, I, I firmly believe you'll see both those guys against Pine Bluff and, uh, and, and beyond that game. I think you'll continue to see those both those guys at, at some point. Now, Max isn't – I don't know when he'll – when and if he will take over the starting position. But I know, uh, again, that every indication I've heard is Alex is 1A and Max is 1B. Well, let's take a let's take a glance at two quarterbacks that nobody's talking about. Obviously, you know we're concerned about um, Mike Collins being able to be a sturdy backup. We're also curious about Justin Rogers and his development. Um, without without it goes without saying, everyone is pulling for Justin because we know how hard he's worked to come back from this horrendous injury. But I want to talk about Downing and Baldwin because they both have at least uh, gotten some press and gotten some praise. Tell us a little bit about Baldwin. Tell us a little bit about Downing and. Uh, just kind of the development of them and the way that they're gelling with the team. 
Well, with uh, first with Mike, his if, if people didn't see that, he's got a bone bruise in his foot, and it's really hard for him to plant. And Coach P was saying the other day, it, it's in a spot that really the only way to heal it is with time. So there's there's no uh, set timeline for when he's going to be back out there. But the other two quarterbacks down or three quarterbacks, Downing, Rogers, and, and Baldwin. And Coach P said the other day he's been really happy with all three of those quarterbacks. Uh, with with Matthew Downing, he's he's actually surprised a lot of people. He came in, he played four games last year at Georgia as a walk on freshman. So it's not like they're just getting a kid down here that doesn't. He's just filling a roster spot. I mean, he actually can play. I've seen him throw. He throws pretty well. And I've heard a few people that have told me, and this is what I've been saying on the board. And I'm surprised that it hasn't got more traction on it. But uh, not only is he sharing third team reps with Justin that he's actually in the ahead of the pecking order right now. He's actually getting those reps before Justin. And I don't know how much that means for Justin, but we'll, we'll see later on down the line with Justin. Uh, I've, I've have heard that he's, he's more healthy than, than what people are really giving him credit for right now. It's not that he's four string just because coaches are looking at his drop foot situation and he's not able to run. He's he he can get running once he gets about three or four steps into it. But his main problem right now is just getting rid of the ball and decision making. And I've said this before it with with Dwayne Haskins comparing him that, you know, Dwayne Haskins wasn't a mobile quarterback, but he made excellent decisions and got rid of the football fast. And that's what Justin doesn't have a good grasp of doing right now. And that's not a knock on him because every one of those quarterbacks have had days like that where they're not making the greatest of decisions. But as far as uh, why he's in the position he is right now, it's Matthew Downing's not a, he's not a running quarterback. Okay. He's not a dual threat. He's not a four, five, four, six kid. He's as fast as Justin, but he's making better decisions right now. So be interesting to see how that one unfolds. If, if that's really going to be Matthew Downing is number three or number four on the depth chart, depending on what Mike Collins uh, injury status is, but Matthew Baldwin, Coach P said he looked he looked good in scout, and so I asked him. I said, "Is he running around? Is he doing anything?" He's like, "No, he's not running around yet, but he he's doing good throwing the football." So, with the combination of Max and and Matthew and and, and Justin and and uh, Baldwin, he feels really good about the future at quarterback. I don't think he was just talking specifically about Max or or Matthew Baldwin. Uh, when when Dean made that tr- uh, that tweet that everyone was referring to, I think he was just talking more in general about some of the young quarterbacks. Okay, that's good to know because if this season is uh, anything like last season, we're going to see more than one quarterback, and some of it more by ro- and and it won't simply be by rotation. So it's probably good to know who the fifth string quarterback is because you never know when he's going to show up in a bowl game if you're a exactly. TCU fan. So, Daniel, I want to ask you: This last month has just been like a a bucket of anxiety being a Frog fan, listening and watching everybody bicker and all of these experts about who should be playing quarterback and who shouldn't be playing quarterback. <sighs> You've been a fan for a long time. Why are fans so antsy about quarterback this season? Because I feel like this this offseason has been worse. This summer, and in some ways, this August has been worse than previous years. Why are fans so worked up about who's playing quarterback, who's not playing quarterback? I'd love to get your take on that. Is a clear-minded, reasonable, rational fan that you are? You know, I would think, and it, at least for me, just upon thinking about it right now, because we were so stoked about 
our quarterback situation last year and then what it turned out to actually be. Um, I think we're anxious to find out, you know, I mean, isn't that isn't quarterback, you know, that's the, the biggest position and that's what everyone's so concerned with. You know, it's the, the, the field general and all that, but because of last year, and how bizarre that was, and kind of, I guess, how let down we were. We want confirmation that this year, perhaps, will be better, um, and at least just, even if it's even if it's just a mediocre quarterback play, like let's just find out and get our expectations ready for running the ball or, or whatever we're gonna have to do, you know, to win or and then maybe temper our expectations as far as wins. Um, I don't know. It, it could be that, but you know, it's, it's always up in the air. You know, we thought it was going to be Jokel and then Boykin comes out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, this, this is always some kind of situation like that, but I, I feel like it's probably it. Most reactions are probably due to what happened the previous year. So we're not worried about the quarterback now because of the Jokel and Boykin situation. We're not worried about quarterback, you know, from Paul Hall or whatever. It's, uh, it's, it's last year because that was, that was a pretty big bummer. Uh, especially after getting our hopes up with what we thought was going to be a really big deal at quarterback. And it kind of turned into a really weird deal at quarterback. Um, so, uh, I, I, you know, so far I'm, I'm satisfied, but I, there are people who, and that's, that's what college being a college football fan is about is, um, irrationality, I guess that's just part of it. You know, <laughs> I think it is, you know, if, if you can't be just a blatant Homer and, and, and irrational and, make a promise that you're never going to follow this team again, then you're actually not a college football fan. That's kind of the way I look at it. I don't know how many times I've swore I'm not going back to this stupid website to follow the ups and downs of 17-year-olds. And yet, here we all are. It's a unique aspect amongst the sporting world. You know, um, I'm a Rangers fan, but I don't go nuts at the tiniest little thing. It's, It's so different at the college level, and I think that's what makes it special. I think part of it has to do with what was discussed last week. When when you follow a team so closely and you follow people that report on their team, whether it's what they're hearing from sources, whether it's the coaches themselves saying these things, when you hear stuff like last year, when you hear Gary Patterson say, we've done a really good job not turning the ball over, quarterbacks are making good decisions, and then Sean goes out there and throws 25 interceptions the first three games, I mean, it's – you're you're going to be pissed off somewhere and you're going to lose your mind over stuff because you you've been built uh to believe in certain things that you've heard all off season and sometimes i mean that's that's tough to hear that's that's when you see that realization there's no way that Sean didn't throw interceptions in fall camp the way Gary Patterson said he was protecting there's no way he was lying to us he knew how bad Sean sucked he didn't want to say anything he should have pulled him out of all that before Jeremy was wrong because Jeremy was reporting this stuff. And I think that's not only the TCU fan base, TCU is no different from any other diehard fan base. Texas is A&M and Oklahoma, all those, I mean, those fan bases are twice as crazy as TCU fans in my book. 
uh, with with some of the things that they hear. I mean, you they jump on the reporters. They, they attack their own like like no other. I've I've got it pretty good with you guys, but uh, I think part of that is is the reason why because they they dive in so deep into watching their team and, and, and following it and listening to the people that cover it, that if you get those situations like last year, then it's a tremendous letdown. And what I would tell people this year, just go into it with an open mind. Yeah. I've heard that Alex hasn't turned the ball over, uh, but he has had bad moments in practice. Obviously there's been people on the board that have heard the same thing uh, with Max. He's I'm telling you guys right now, he's still, forcing the football into some areas. He's still trying to rely on his arm strength. So if you go out there and see him force a ball, that's that's him making his freshman mistakes. That's that's the mental aspect of it. And I think I was telling you, Jeff, a while back that if Alex starts, it wouldn't surprise me if he threw 15 to 17 touchdowns, uh, ran for 10 and, and threw four to five interceptions. And with Max, it wouldn't surprise me if he goes out there and throws – 17 to 22 touchdown passes, but he also throws 11 to 13 interceptions because he tries to make so many things happen with that strong arm. But you got to, you got to just kind of balance which one you want to go with. And and right now, I think the simple fact that if Alex, I think if Alex was maybe not a 22, 23 year old, fifth year senior experienced the way he was, then I think Max would have a better chance at starting over him. Um, but right now, I think you're going to go with the experience because he's he's earned that earned that right to get out there and lead the team. But that doesn't say if he doesn't mess up the first couple plays or first couple drives where he's not getting anything done consistently that you that you don't see Max early on. I think that's kind of the way they're looking at it right now. You know, it's funny, Jeremy. You talk about how worked up you were last week and fans and the way you interacted and what what the kind of the tone we took on the podcast. I have a good friend of mine named Andy that listened to the Frogcast for the very first time last week. And that was the only episode he'd ever listened to. And he wrote me and he said, hey, I, I listened to your podcast. And, you know, it was good to kind of keep up with TCU. And he goes, what's wrong with Jeremy? <laughs> <laughs> so I just uh, I thought I'd let you know that. I kind of got a kick out of that. Uh, all right, let's pivot on to uh, some other breaking news. Uh, Montreal Wilson has left the football program without going into details, which I know you can't disclose everything. Quickly, tell us what you know, and then fill us in on the linebacker situation because this was thin, and it just got a whole lot thinner. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of crazy because Gary was just talking how good he was doing two weeks ago and how he was becoming a leader and just really guiding the younger players, and then the next thing you know, he's not showing up to practice. And that was one of those things I mentioned last week during the the broadcast that there was something going on that I didn't want to really get into too much, but there was a time, a day where – no one could find him. He just didn't show up to practice. Then it became another day. Then it became another day. He wasn't showing up to meetings. And uh, I don't know if it's because he's been hurt so many times. I mean, they've been very upfront with him about where he stands reps wise, how they were going to try to maintain that and watch over that. But it could be one of those situations where he just got tired of playing football. Maybe he didn't like hearing about the young freshman, possibly beating out a fifth year senior like D like D winners has gotten so much, uh, publicity from coach Patterson and, and praised uh, with how well he's been doing in fall camp. Maybe that's something Montreal was looking at too, but I don't want to put thoughts and anything like that out there for him, but it, it is a big loss. I mean, he's big loss as far as the, the leadership role goes. Uh, he hasn't really made, I mean, I'm, I'm going to sound blunt. I mean, hurtful when I say this or just 
but I have to be blunt, but he, he really, as far as a, a playmaker, he really hasn't done anything the last three years. It's been since 2015 since he made any kind of contribution. So it's not a huge loss as far as uh, stats and tackles and everything else goes. Uh, but it, as far as the leadership goes, the way Gary was talking about him, I think that's that's pretty big, big loss for them on the defensive side of the football. But as far as linebacker goes, obviously D winners, guy I just mentioned has, has gotten a lot of reps with first team. Like Kendrick Van Zant is a guy that's came down from strong safety to linebacker. And if you go back and look at past history, you know, guys that Gary has taken from safety to linebacker. It, it's a it's a thing that works out for them. They they do a good job of doing that and, and making those making those uh, players into tremendous linebackers. Traven Howard is the all time leading tackler at TCU, and he was a safety that transitioned down to uh, linebacker. So uh, Lakendrick's an extremely athletic player, uh, very smart, six one, probably about two ten, two fifteen. He's got great size, great speed, and I, I think it's going to be those three guys. Garrett Wallow was hurt. Last last uh, Saturday for the scrimmage, he'll he'll be okay. But I think you'll see Garrett Wallow, uh, obviously D. Winters, Lakendrick getting some reps, uh, Jacoby Simpson, Demurian Holmes. Uh, haven't heard much about Holmes lately, so I'm going to ask Coach P next time I see him about where his where he's standing right now. But obviously you have Montreal Wilson gone and Ben Wilson's out probably till October because he has an injured foot. So. Linebackers kind of getting thin. It was already thin as far as experience goes with Garrett as the only guy coming back. But you got some athleticism. Oh, and uh, Wyatt Harris, your favorite Alito linebacker there, Jeff, and, and Daniel, you Alito Bearcats. Uh, he went out there and, and had a great scrimmage on Saturday, according to Coach. He's moved back permanently to linebacker. Love hearing about those Alito kids. That's a great update. You know, walk us through a little bit on the depth of the defensive backfield. I know with Noah Daniels going down, I, ca- I think we all kind of have an agreement on what the starting five would look like. What is the depth behind the starting five? And uh, give me two or three names that we should keep an eye on that are going to see the field when the game matters that are not starters. I mean, the biggest question mark right now is where Noah was playing, and that's a corner because what Coach P said the other day is you have two true freshmen that are playing behind Jeff and Julius. You got Keon Stewart and – I love Keon Stewart, but I promise you right now, he's not ready to cover a Jalen Rager type because that first open practice they had, that was a clinic. That's what they describe as a clinic because Keon was spinning and turning, doing everything else, trying to keep up with Jalen, and it just wasn't happening. But uh, Keon Stewart's your guy right now. He is a good-sized corner. He's got tremendous athleticism. He's very fast. And obviously, he's done something well enough to to get up in the two deep uh, other than just not having – a lot of numbers at the position, but he, he is a tremendously athletic kid. Uh, Travis Hodges Tomlinson, obviously LT's nephew. He's another kid that he did look good the day I was out there and had the chance to watch practice. I, I like his uh, enthusiasm. He's he's a freshman, but he acts like he's a lot older player out there. looks like he's just having fun playing football. And he was a kid that I thought was really under-recruited during the, the, during the recruiting process for him. I think he could have got a lot more looks. People were kind of scared by his size, but in TCU ends up with him, and I think that was a big steal for them because I think other than them just recruiting him for a name, it, it was nothing like that. I mean, he, he's a really, really good player, and I think they got a steal when they got him late in the recruiting process. But those two guys right there, Donovan Collins uh, is another young guy to watch. Hadari Caesar is another guy Coach P mentioned. Redshirt freshman out of Louisiana. But Tony Wallace should be back in September. He'll bring some more depth. 
once he gets healthy, he had a surgery, I guess, right before he get, got to TCU. I was told that it really wasn't something they, they knew about. Um, but he, he got down there and, and really wasn't ready to get out there and, and work out with the team yet. So he should be ready to go by September from what coach said on Saturday, and that should provide some depth. But safeties, man, it's it's a tons of Ongor. He's, at, he's back out there. That's a big – boost to safety position. I think he can work some strong and weak safety. Obviously you've got, let me get uh, that question in real quick on, on uh, Atanza. Is he going to, is he going to be on the two deep? Is he going to be able to contribute outside of special teams? Cause that was a question somebody was going to ask. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's one question that, that was asked to Gary on Saturday is that does he have enough time to, to get ready? And coach P brought out the name Tyler Luttrell, uh, Luttrell, however you want to say it. If y'all remember back in the 09 season, Tyler was, I think, like the fourth fourth uh, team receiver, and they started working him at strong safety right before TCU had to go play Virginia. And he ended up starting at strong safety almost the entire year, and they went 12-1 and that year. And uh, so Coach P was talking about how quickly players can adapt to, to learning schemes on defense and Atanz is an extremely smart kid. I mean, he is, he is very, very smart and obviously really athletic. And I, I think he'll provide some depth. I don't, I don't know if he's going to be a too deep top player yet, but I, I do think eventually by the, by the middle of the season toward the end, he'll definitely be in the too deep. All right. That's good to know. I got to keep an eye on that defensive backfield. Cause as coach Patterson says, the, the starting five stacked five after that, Whole bunch of red shirts, whole bunch of freshmen. So we'll keep an eye on that. All right, you know, Daniel, we got this game coming up against Pine Bluff, and and you know, there's always a lot of uh, conversation, as, as I will put it politely. Who should we be playing non-conference? Should we be playing a, an FCS team? Should we play in a uh, you know a Sun Belt team? We're playing one of the weakest FCS teams that you can imagine. Somebody that had 90 points hung on them by another FCS team last year. So this gets to my question. How long do you play your starters in this game? Let's say it's 38 to nothing at halftime. At what point do you start like pull, fully rotating and, and getting your starters off the field? Do they need to see five series, three series? Do they need to you know, score every time they get the ball until halftime and then just kind of call off the dogs? And then when they call off the dogs or when they take out the starters, do you keep letting you know, Downing go out there and throw it and, you know, on a 40-yard go route? I'm really curious as to, as to your interpretation and your thoughts on how you get those people into the game and uh, how long you let starters play in a game that is just like a smidge above an exhibition game. It usually depends on the score uh, from what I've you know seen. If, <laughs> if they can run up five touchdowns real fast, you know, the, they'll bring in the backups Um for a couple of series, give everyone a rest and then just try to keep people from getting hurt. And then you don't, you don't want to be throwing when it's a blowout. Cause that's just unsportsmanlike. And, uh, unless it's like tech or Baylor, then just kill them. Um, but in, in these types of games, you know, they, you gotta, th- I, I think you gotta have some consideration for the other team. You know, the last couple of years we've played Southern, we've played, Jackson State and the scores got you know out of hand a little bit, um, but and it's sort of to be expected. But you don't want to embarrass them, so you know you do things like where you just you put in your backups, you just run it up the gut, and um, 
because the only other thing you could do really is just take a knee and keep giving them the ball, but you don't want to do that. So I, I you know it just depends. Uh, I would say start, it depends on the score, but generally the starters come back in the second half, play a little bit, maybe get, let them score. And then, you know, they can just sit the rest of the game. Uh, it also depends on the positions and how deep you are and things like that. You don't want to just play your freshman the whole time because you may lose and that would suck. Yes, that would suck. There's no nice way about it. That would that would kind of suck. So I'm old enough to remember when the Frogs lost to Northwestern State 2001. They were an FCS team and the Frogs kind of uh, bit the bullet against them. So that was that was the first full season of the GP era. That did not start off well, but we won't talk about that much more. <sighs> All right, Jeremy, question for you before we get to listener questions. Uh, how do you compare Coach Patterson's mood this preseason this fall camp compared to other fall camps and what can frog fans kind of take away from that what's what's the summary of his mood and how do you compare that to previous uh august camps overall he's been in a pretty good mood i I would say uh, dating all the way back to media days he i've said this a ton of times it's he's got that familiar smirk like he knows something that the rest of us don't know yet i think he knows that teams or, or people are underrating what tcu has right now but then some people are – now you're starting to see stories where people are listing TCU as one of the most underrated teams, having a chance at really uh, making some noise, and the team that no one's looking at, TCU's always coming up in those conversations now. So it's probably something that he doesn't like to see very much. As far as practices go and just meeting with him afterwards, he seems like he's in a very good mood. I will say this past Saturday he was pretty pissed off. I do know that as soon as we're walking down the tunnel and we're getting ready to talk to him, he had the team all huddled up in the middle of the field. They break out, offense runs toward the tunnel, get off, gets off the field. Defensive players are all taking off their helmets and shoulder pads. They're lining up on the sideline and they're starting to run gassers. And guess who's out there blowing the whistle, making them run? Coach Patterson. So that tells me right there that he was pissed off at the defense. Maybe the defense had a bad day. Maybe they just had some mental blocks. I, I don't know what it was, but then he came over to us and he, he was giving us very short answers. If anyone read what I wrote on Saturday from practice, obviously not naming a starter, but he was really short with his answers that day. Just seemed like he was kind of in a pissed off mood. And, and that was really the, the first time that he had been like that all the way dating back to big 12 media days and through the, all the practices that he's had up to that point. So uh, people people like it when they get a mad Gary Patterson, but I also think it's a good thing when he's in a good mood because it's it's very just you, you kind of get that attention to detail if you've been around him long enough that he knows something that the rest of the people don't know uh, quite yet. And I think it, it reminds me a lot, I, I keep saying it, reminds me a lot of the 2017 season they came off six and seven in 2016 and, and people are kind of writing them off and yet they go out there and make it to a big 12 championship game. And, and if they can get the play right at quarterback, then I think they have that kind of team that can get them there again. All right, let's dig into listener questions. If you listened to the show last week, you heard me spitting my ice back into my bourbon at the end of the show. And I said, if you uh, heard that and want a question, just tweet me or send me a message and I'll, I'll, get your twi- I'll get your question on the show. So I want to start with the two guys on Twitter that are um, big fans of the Frogcast that are always wanting to know when things are up. So I thought I'd go ahead and, uh, and get their questions in first. They acknowledge the, the, the drinking at the end of the show. Yell MK, our, one of our favorite fans on Twitter, 
He says, uh, question for the Frogcast for bourbon drinkers. What position battle is interesting that no one is talking about yet? Jeremy, what do you have there? What position battle is nobody talking about that's fascinating to you? I would say tight end right now because uh, tight end is a player, for you guys that don't know, sometimes they go out for passes, sometimes they <laughs> line up and block. Uh, but I, I think right now you, you, I've heard Coach P say something pretty good about Pro Wells one time. And if you ever if you ever watch videos or listen to audio and you hear him say Tay Mike, that's T-A-Y-M-I-K-E, he's talking about Artavius Lynn. So when you hear – you got to you gotta pick up on the nickname. So Yo-Yo is, is Michael Onye Mayobi. I think it, I butchered that name, but that's who it is. Um, but, which, by the way, he is still on the team. I don't know if I answered that last week. Uh, he is still on team, but he's, he's a long way to go before he's back on the field. So swerving back onto the lane here, I think it's going to be tight ends. Uh, just really, I, I think they want to get those positions – more involved. Pro Wells has had a good camp. Artavius has had a good camp. And Carter Ware's a guy that no one really talks about because he's he's not really the athletic pass catcher pro and, and Artavius are, but he is a, a really good blocker and he's a smart player. So I think it's a pretty interesting battle to watch right there to see who's, who's going to end up being the overall starter and who's going to be the guy that gets the most passes th- thrown his way this year. All right, another question from longtime listener uh, Damon Hickman. So the Frogcast, I heard the bourbon. Um, will TCU annually schedule SMU going forward after this season? Is there any, any break that's going to take place with the TCU-SMU game, Jeremy? Man, I haven't heard anything on that yet. Just being completely honest, haven't have not heard anything on that. Fair enough. I haven't heard anything either. Let's ask the other question. Daniel, you can weigh in on this. Should TCU keep playing SMU? Is this a game that needs to go bye bye? Is this nostalgia, or is this just a, a basically a second home? I mean, a, a home game that we get to play in Dallas. Should the Frogs keep playing SMU? That depends on if we continue to play FCS. Um, I don't care about SMU anymore, but they are at least a Power Five school, and they are in a you know the the AA. AAC. Power, AAC, yeah. They call themselves Power Six. They're not Power Five, but they're at least they're FBS. G5. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Um, but no, they're not FCS, is my point. Um, but they're they're in what is probably or could be the better conference out of the group of five. Um, and now they got Sonny Dykes, and, you know, things could be looking up for them. So it depends. But, you know, scheduling is often so far out in advance, you really don't know. I would rather, I guess preferably, I'd rather drop the FCS and SMU games because I just don't care. They don't care. So what fun is it to go over, you know, and beat them? And then, of course, they give us the. It's like it's like a Kansas kind of game. Like they give it, they give us their best fight. Kansas doesn't always maybe give us the best fight, but for some reason, those games are weird. And then. But anyway, SMU always gives us the best fight, and that's so, so annoying because it's it's the second game of the year always, and they can really bring it to you. And, of course, everyone's you know having an aneurysm in the stands because it's so frustrating and nerve-wracking of, of, you know, we might lose to these clowns. And then, of course, if, you, if it's, the game is in Dallas, you go over there and they've got all 3,000 fans. <laughs> <laughs> um. And it's, 
you know, that little stadium, it's just, it's just not very much fun. And of course you have to go through that hellhole Dallas, you know, getting there. It's just, it just, just who cares? Just, just go away. Yeah. You know, my, my scheduling theory is, is, is drop the FCS game and just play two G5 games at home, you know, play, you know, uh, play Louisiana Lafayette and play San Jose state play, you know, just play two home games against G five teams. And then that third game is one, you know, is a home and away with a power five team. And then some of yours, you, you know, some of yours, you're going to have eight home games. I mean, how, how great would that be, you know, or, or set it up to where you always have seven home games or something like that. There's, I, I think we should maximize every home game that we can get there's no reason we should be driving across, you know, exactly. We should, there's no reason we should be driving all the way across Dallas just to go play a game. It's always on a Friday. If you guys haven't noticed when we play at SMU, it's always on a Friday. Now ESPN has the AAC contact track contract and they pick that up and they have Friday window. So I just say play two to three home games every year in non-conference and then just let the big schedule, big 12 schedule roll as it is. Some years you got five at home, some years you got four, and I would, I would rather, I would prefer to have that. And that way, you get uh, as many home games as you can get. Let people enjoy the, that tailgate. Let people enjoy playing, you know, watching the frogs play right here in Fort Worth, and and make the most of it. That would be my, that would be my preference. That's basically what Oklahoma does. That's basically what, uh, aside from them having to play Red River, uh, I, I that's that's the that's the path I would take. That's what Iowa State does, and um, I think that's a smart move. So. All right, let's go ahead and get to some listener questions here off the board. Jeremy, rapid fire. Give me your short uh, short burst answers here. 2020, offensive tackle recruiting. Uh, are we? Do we have any interest or we have any interest from Brandon Coleman, uh, Garrett Hayes, Cortland Ford, any others? Tell us about 2020 offensive tackle recruitment. I would say Brandon Coleman and Garrett Hayes are the two most uh, logical guys I can see right now being frogs, especially Brandon Coleman. Um, Garrett Hayes doesn't talk too much. I know it's a battle with Arkansas, but I would say for now, Brandon Coleman's the more, uh, if I was to put in a crystal ball, it, it would be for him. All right, Daniel rapid fire question for you. Hypothetical. You have one of two choices here. Number one, TCU wins the national championship this year, but when the big 12 implodes in five years, we have or in six years, we have to join the AAC with SMU and Memphis at central Florida or no national championship this year, but we stay in the Big 12 for the foreseeable future with little to no guarantee we ever win a national championship. Which would you take? Who asked that? <laughs> that would be DMSATX357. Um, <sighs> I think if you win a, a national title, you're not going to be brushed off to the AAC in a couple of years because your program's only going to improve um, because you win the, th- the title. So you're going to attract higher and higher, higher and higher caliber recruits just as we've done since we joined the big 12. It's, it seems like every year it's, it's just a little bit better and you do something like that. You know, the program's just, you know, you might win it twice because you keep recruiting these good kids. And so I don't know that that's really that feasible. But if I have to stay within the parameters of the question, I'd rather, 
I'd rather not win it and stay in the Big 12 than have to be relegated to the same crap with SMU and and all of those guys because you know we've been there, and I like where we're at. You know, I do too. I like where we're at as well, but I will say this. If, if the Frogs won the national championship and then got stuck in the AAC, I think it's an above 50% chance that – the playoff is going to go to eight and the group of five is going to get a spot. And that's where you have to ask, uh, this is a real question for college football fans. Is it better to be West Virginia in that scenario in Texas tech, or is it better to be UCF and Boise state who has a clear path to the playoff in that situation? UCF, Boise state or West Virginia, Texas tech. UCF. Yeah, time. UCF. I mean, so if they got a mythical national championship. They they do and they they they've gone to two straight BC, or you know, uh New Year's six games and if one of those spots is reserved for the best uh group of five, TCU has already proven that they know how to do that and they will have had the national championship under their belt as well as the the foundation that you can build that on and they would get they would get to get to the playoff. So, I say take the national title, put it up there, make it our third national championship, hang that banner. And then if we get stuck in the AAC, we got to what we'll be in the playoffs more than the Longhorns or the Aggies ever would sniff that thing. So that's what hey, I would say. Look what Dana Hogerson did. He knew he left he West did. Virginia and he's at Houston now. Watch. Yeah, I he think it, make it to the playoffs yeah. before West Virginia does. I totally agree. I totally agree. So, all right, Jeremy, 2020 defensive tackle recruiting. Um, are we in the hunt for anyone? Uh, we're just going to point on pass on a defensive tackle this year. I'd really be curious as your thoughts on 2020 DT recruiting. They are in the hunt for a defensive tackle. I'm not going to mention his name. He is committed to another school. TCU is very, very, very high on this kid's list. And I'm not going to say who it is, but I will say he's committed to another school and it wouldn't shock me in the least if he ends up becoming a frog. Oh, you had to go 40 some minutes in to get that quest, get that comment. That's good. That's good recruiting nuggets right there. All right. Either one of you guys, after hearing your insider updates and what we've talked about, do you still feel TCU will win 10 games this year? You Jeremy, want me to go first, Daniel. Yeah. yeah, I think they have a chance I, to win ten games. Yeah. Yes, I, I think they have a chance to win ten. I would bet on nine, but I think they could do better. Okay, I'm going to agree with you. I'll take the I'll take nine and a half. That would be my line that I'd set for Vegas. All right, really quick here, we'll start to move this show to an end. But Jeremy. Legal issue updates on Shewo. That is something that's been asked and that I was going to ask if nobody brought it up. Do we have any update? Is there I anything mean, that, that stands? Yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing really. I asked Coach P about it the other day, and he's basically saying that it's between uh, he Shewo's lawyers has talked to TCU, and, and they're going about their business. And pretty much it's along the lines of they haven't said anything to where we can't let Shewo practice or play in a game. So it's – they're they're working something out, but I don't. It, nothing has come out publicly about it. Um, so it's basically just. It, it was kind of one of those things where when I asked the question, it was Coach P gave me that look like, "Why did you ask that question?" Because it's better left unsaid. But he just he just basically said that every party involved knows knows what's going on, and it seems like the DA's working with TCU as far as uh, 
they know exactly what Shea was doing right now. He's he's practicing. He's going to play in the game. And and uh, for me personally, I I think the Chargers are going to get dropped. Um, and and TCU probably feels the same way. Just because if they didn't, he would be nowhere near the program right now. Okay, good to know. Yes or no question. Do you think TCU will be undefeated when Texas rolls into town? True or false? If they win in names, they will. All right, good to know. Uh, let me see here. Last few questions. Uh, we're going to save all our Big 12 questions for hey, next no, week. Hold on just a second. Go ahead. Let me, hold on. Let me get this soapbox set up to where I can stand okay. up on it real quick. Let, Go let for it, Tyler. That Purdue game. <laughs> speaking of Tyler, you, that Purdue game is no. I said Kyler. Oh, Kyler. Sorry, he's got to stand on the soapbox at the press box. Oh, that's true. Not Tyler. No, I, I did not say Tyler. The so, only NFL quarterback that I may be as tall as. That's uh, right. Anyway, I, that Purdue game scares me, and I and I know the there's there's some fans out there like we're, there's no way we're going to lose Purdue, man. They're not that good. Purdue's a better team than people are giving them credit for. I think that's going to be a tough game. And the people that are – if TCU somehow loses that game, the people that are going to be screaming their heads off and pissed off at the world are the ones that gave Purdue zero chance to win. And I'm just telling you right now, there is a chance that they can win. That It's not going to be a walk in the park for TCU to go up there to Purdue and win that game. They've got one of the most electric offensive players in the country in Rondell Moore. They've got a great coach in Jeff Brom. He's going to get things done. They, they've obviously got a new quarterback, but I, I, I think it's one of those games that is scary to me just because it's an early season game. You really don't know what you're going to have as far as your offense goes, your defense. The good thing is they get a bye, so you got Gary Patterson preparing for them for two weeks, but it is still a road game. It's a night game, and Purdue's going to be pretty pumped up for it. So they've got a lot to play for early in the season, just like TCU, and I would tell TCU fans, I mean, that's that's going to be a game that is going to be uh, – I, I don't want to call it a measuring stick game because I don't think you can really measure that game as a measuring stick game for how your season's going to go. But if they go up there and they allow Purdue to score 30-something points and you're looking at the rest of the Big 12 season, you're, you're going to be kind of questioning what the defense is going to be able to do against Big 12 offenses. And at the same time, if you go up there and you don't score a lot of points, then it's going to be a long season on offense as well. So uh, I would just caution TCU fans, the, the ones that are out there saying that there's no way they're going to lose to Purdue, we're more talented, we're bigger, we're faster, we're stronger, just do a reality check and, and just give Purdue some credit. That, that's going to be a tough game. I happen to agree with you. So I think we got to keep our eye on Purdue. I think that's kind of our, our first uh, measuring stick. And then you got Iowa State. If they can come with those to get those two wins, I think uh, I think sky's the limit. If not, uh, hello, cheese it Bowl. So I know we got a few other listener questions. I apologize that we're not able to get, to get to them. We're running a little late tonight, and we need to kind of bring this show to an end. If you haven't yet, please go to hornfrogblitz.com and join our website. You'll find a great information on recruiting as well as what's going on inside the program, updates on practice reports from our own Jeremy Clark. It's also an easy way to subscribe to the Frogcast. You can go to Megaphone off of the ECU 24-7 uh, site. Easy way to subscribe. Also, if you haven't yet, go to iTunes 
Easiest way to subscribe to our website or to our uh, podcast, give us a rating and a review. We would love for you to get the word out about this podcast that's going on five years strong covering TCU football. So until we get together next week, which would be one week away from kickoff, for Jeremy and for Daniel, I am Jeff. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast.